Action Network podcast. It's time! Welcome to the Action Network podcast. I'm Sean Zarillo, joined today by action contributor and former professional MMA fighter, Billy Ward. We're going to talk UFC Vegas 51, card taking place on ESPN, 5.30 start for the prelims. The ugliest card imaginable that they could have put on national TV. Maybe they're experimenting, seeing how many people will tune in if they give you the least interesting fights possible. But we do have a very good main event on Saturday between Bilal Muhammad and Vicente Luque, a rematch from UFC 202, I believe, when Conor McGregor won and became the second or the first, actually, double champion UFC history, defeating Eddie Alvarez at Madison Square Garden. Now, this is 12 fights ago for both Luke and Bilal Muhammad. Both of these guys have adapted and changed a lot as fighters since that time. We are getting a rematch. Luke put him out in 90 seconds with a left hook the first time around. Five-round main event on Saturday. Very interesting, considering the amount of hate that Bilal Muhammad tends to get and how violent of a finisher Vicente Luque is. Now, Luque has a bunch of front headlocks, chokes, anacondas, different darces that he can slip into and slip on Muhammad as he tries to grapple and make this fight dirty. When these guys are at range, Luque should be the more dangerous striker as he looked in the first fight, but he tends to get hit a lot, turns this fight into brawls. I could see the volume being relatively close if this fight ends up going 25 minutes and a decision could be a bit hairy with Bilal potentially mixing in more takedowns. But Luke should have the more significant strikes. I believe Bilal has the most significant strikes landed in UFC history without recording a knockdown. So it shows you the discrepancy in the power there. But he can make this fight dirty, press him up against the cage. And I think being in the small cage at the apex is going to help him a lot as it did against Steven Thompson. So maybe Bilal can make this fight dirty, turn it into a grind. We tend to see these main events go at a bit slower of a pace than the other fights on the card as well. My personal favorite bet here, I'm taking the over two and a half rounds at minus 245. This is juiced up over minus 200 at some books. It's minus 145 at Caesars. I believe they have the over three and a half at minus 135. So I don't really get that 10 cent differential between the over two and a half and the over three and a half. I projected this fight to go the distance at plus 115 and get plus 125s out there. I can see a late finishing happening. If one guy tires out early in the fight, that Luke finish is always going to be there. I think Luke's inside the distance odds are interesting. Projected that around plus 125. And I set Bilal's decision line around plus 260. So that's even worth a dabble. But the over two and a half, I think it's a sweet spot for this fight. Just avoids the late finish. Like I said, that Luke finish early is always going to be there. Billy, I think we, we have pretty similar reads on this fight. Actually, we talked about the fact that we were both leaning to Luke early. I might've switched sides. I might be leaning to Bilal on the money line if I had to take a side. Curious if your opinion has changed at all and how you're playing this fight. Yeah, I'm still, if I had to bet a money line, it would still definitely be Luke. If you look at a lot of the rematch data, the younger fighter wins well over 60% of the time, and the fighter who won the first fight wins at a pretty good clip. Both of those are Luke in this one. So just trusting that, and, you know, they've both looked pretty similar, both looked pretty good since then. But the extended fight makes it a lot harder for Muhammad to grind him out for 25 minutes when he doesn't really have that finishing ability. You pointed out, you know, he has the most significant strikes with never recording a knockdown. His significant strikes mostly come on the ground, but he never really looks like he's trying to finish the guy. He's trying to do damage 
but he's not really, you know, working for the finish. So you got to do that for 25 minutes where Luke needs to land one punch or one submission. And Muhammad doesn't even look for submissions when it does get to the ground. So Luke can win a decision a lot more easily than Muhammad can win a finish. So just with both of that, I'm comfortable laying the minus 170 or so on Luke. But my absolute favorite bet is it to go the distance at plus 110. I like Muhammad's defense. I think as he gets hurt, he'll be able to latch on, slow things down, still lose the round, but save himself from getting knocked out. So I think that's you can get as high as almost plus 120, depending on what book I wrote down, plus 110 earlier. But yeah, fight the fight to go to the distance is my favorite of those just because i can see luke winning that way but i can't really see muhammad winning a stoppage goes the distance plus 125 at bet mgm which is a pretty good number i said i projected that closer to plus 115 and yeah Bilal's generally been durable aside from the fight against luke and i feel that people tend to see the second fight going the same as the first fight in the exact same manner you know regardless of the winner more often than not which is why the odds tend to get a little bit skewed so I agree. I think this this is probably going to be an extended fight. Maybe there's a late finish, but not really sure how either guy's cardio is going to hold up down the stretch, which is why I took the over instead of the goes the distance. Let's talk about our favorite underdogs for the card. It's actually a card with some massive, massive underdogs. I didn't take a shot on any of the ones that are in that plus 300, plus 400 range. We saw Aljamain Sterling cash, Aljamain Sterling cash last week around plus 360 to retain his bantamweight title. Yes, I know it sounds weird to say retain. I'm taking Kyle Bahio this week in the co-main event, plus 115 at BetMGM. Projected this fight at as a pick even money. And I also like the fight to go the distance, plus 130 at Bet Rivers. Projected that prop actually around minus 120. So I think that that line should be flipped personally. Uh, it shouldn't be plus money. You should be laying juice on that fight to go the distance. He's facing Gadza, Gadzi Omar Gadzia, both of these guys coming off a contender series. So we're really not going to learn much about either guy relative to current UFC fighters, but we'll figure out which one is better between them. And Kyo is just the more well-rounded fighter, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, should be able to get up off of his back. We haven't seen him there for extended periods, but I'm confident that he knows what he's doing on the ground. And if they're striking, I'm very confident that he's the superior striker, much more technical, probably has more power. Really don't know what Godzi has in extending striking exchanges. So basically, I see uh, Kayo as the more well-rounded fighter, likely winning in two of the three phases where Omar Godziev needs to fight a perfect fight, hold you down for 15 minutes. Decision equity is probably the only way that he's going to win the fight. Kayo, I could see finishing, but more likely by decision, which is why I'm splitting with that goes to decision prop. Billy, I believe you're also on Kayo. I know you're doing a write-up for it that will go on actionnetwork.com. Tell me your thoughts on that fight and then give me your favorite underdog for the night. Yeah, I am absolutely with you on that one. Pretty much along with everything you've said, the one thing I did want to point out, I think he's got like a four or four and a half inch reach advantage, which isn't as big of a deal in the small cage at the apex. But still, it makes it hard if, you know, we're going to have to shoot in from a long distance and you're contending with that much of a reach discrepancy, he could get clipped on the way in and put out. So I'm not so much on the goes to a decision. I think both guys are looking for a finish pretty hard. But uh, Godziev, the one thing that bothered me a little bit about him and his contender series fight is he had top position and rolled for a knee bar, which is super high risk. It's a low probability submission. And if you don't get it, you're in a bad spot. He got away with it there. I don't think he does against Kayo. So, yeah, you're going to end up on bottom and just lose minutes. That so We saw that do, Cyril Gan do that to Francis Ngannou, and that's probably why he lost the fifth round. And and Kyle looks to be more than happy to just beat you up when he's on top and not really sacrifice 
position to go for stuff. If you look at his submission history, it's a lot of like arm triangles, rear naked chokes, stuff like that, where you're still maintaining top position. So if you don't get it, you're not losing out as much. So I, I like his grappling style better, which is that was a really long way to say that, but I appreciate that from him too. So I see him potentially getting a finish. I'm just betting the Kyle money line. I like it. Yeah, and you're so, you're taking a look at uh, at William Knight in the odd heavyweight fight against Devin Clark. Both of these guys used to fight at light heavyweight. Devin Clark actually used to be a middleweight. Knight sitting around plus 150. Tell me why you like him. Yeah, I just can't quit William Knight. I probably need to stop here, but, you know, he just looks so powerful. He's got so much strength, and he's a really underrated and really strong grappler. Like, this is a guy that people think of as just coming to try to knock you out, but he competes in some high-level grappling stuff. Clark has, I think, two submission losses in his last five fights. You know, Clark is willing to force the grappling, but I don't know that that's a good idea against Knight. And then the power discrepancy is just so huge. Clark has below average knockdown rate for like any fighter. But then when you look at, you know, stepping up against a really big, strong guy who is looking to take your head off, this just strikes me as a fight where Clark has to win 15 minutes and Knight has to win half of a second with a punch or submission. So at plus 150 or so, I'm willing to take those odds. Curious to see where these guys weigh in. Knight is a huge man. I can't believe he used to cut down to 205. So curious how what the weight discrepancy is post weigh-ins. If Knight is a big weight advantage, I certainly agree with that play. If they're more similar, I don't really love Knight's skill set. Tends to stall out against the cage. You can kind of control him. He's not a great grappler, but I think he has a significant power advantage. I actually like his knockout prop. I projected that at plus 277. This is most likely win condition. And Devin Clark, by decision, is plus 115. That's my projection. You can get that as high as plus 140. So Clark by decision, Knight by knockout, that's probably how I'd go about playing that fight. But I agree. I wouldn't lay juice on Devin Clark. I think Knight is the side from money line perspective. Just take that knockout prop. That's probably how he's going to win. Let's move on to our fight of the night. This is a weird one. And we chose it for a very specific reason. Jordan Levitt taking on Trey Ogden. Why did we pick this fight? It's early on the prelims. It's a grappler's delight. Neither of these guys can strike. Well, Jordan, leave it bets on himself. If you go to Bet MMA Tips, the guy has an account on there. It's a place where you can track your bets for free, even though you should be tracking them in the Action Network app. But it is a place where a lot of people cap and track their MMA bets. And Jordan, leave it actually has an account on there. And he's very intelligent about how he bets on himself, at least how he thinks about betting on himself. And if Jordan, leave it can do this, why can't you? He capped himself at 60% for this fight. I believe he capped himself at 80% for his last fight. So he tends to, he doesn't see himself as a guy who's going to go out and win every fight 100% of the time. He knows his limitations. He knows what he's doing in there. But he is a submission grappler. And at that, an opportunistic submission grappler. I actually project value on his submission prop. I project value on Ogden's decision prop. I think if Ogden wins, it's likely going to be with top control, better wrestler, holding Levitt down, maybe the better striker too. I'm not really a fan of either of these guys striking, but I do give Ogden more of the minute winning upside, but Levitt tends to find submissions on people. And Ogden's been submitted in the past twice by the same guy with the same technique. It's been guillotined. Forgot how the other one went down, but I, same, I mean, getting choked by the same guy twice in a row with the same technique is a bad look when you're going against an opportunistic grappler like Levitt. Projected a submission prop closer to plus 270. I think I got it at plus 380. Basically, I think his submission win equity is 60% out of his 100% win condition, whereas the market is telling you it's about 45%. So I don't really get the odds discrepancy considering it's very likely he wins by submission if he does. Billy, curious how you see this fight playing out. I think it's really funny that Levitt is so intelligent about handicapping himself to the point where he's 
any fighter, almost any fighter would be like, oh, I'm going to win this fight hundred percent of the time. I'm sure you, you have worked with guys who sort of view everything through that lens where they think they could beat anybody in the world, even though they have obvious limitations. Isn't it cool that to see a fighter just being so reasonable about his chances in a matchup? Yeah, you, you have to love that. I do have to point out, though, he seems to never handicap himself as an underdog. He's never going to come out there and say 49%, <laughs> anything lower than that. So we do have to take it with a grain of salt. Like, you know, this is still a guy whose ego is on the line and, you know, cares what he's doing. So I'm, I'm not saying we base our bets based off love it, self-handicapping. But no, you have to love the, you know, range of outcomes kind of thinking and not just, I'm going to go out there and smash this guy. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the bets. My favorite is just taking his money line straight up. I think to your point about why the submission is not a greater percentage of his win condition, it's just because we all remember that ridiculous slam against Matt Wyman. And like, you know, anyone out here watching this, you've probably watched him fights with people and they kind of like wince or think something hurts or whatever and get horrified by it. That is the only time I've watched an MMA fight and gone like, oh, like, I don't know if that should be allowed. <laughs> I've never seen a guy post up on a chin and then slam you. And just that kind of creativity. And then, you know, his next win is an inverted triangle choke. He's just trying to find finishes out of nowhere with all kinds of different things, all kinds of techniques. Maybe we'll see some ground and pound from him this time if he gets position or gets you in a triangle choke and elbows you to death. Who knows? Like, this guy's just throwing all kinds of stuff off the wall. So I'm just going to take the money line. He's uh, one of my favorite underdog plays. Love him for DFS for that reason, too. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the submission. I just think it could go a lot of different ways in Levitt's favor. Yeah, I don't really get the odds for a guy who looks like he's hunting for submissions and they're giving him a decent amount of win equity by decision, but I just don't see him trying to win minutes. It's not really how he fights. So definitely some Levitt violence props and we'll hope Nerd Squad comes through on Saturday night with Kyle Bahio and Jordan Levitt. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you could win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick their over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two to over 20 times the amount you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over-under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my buddies' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friends' picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. So stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over-under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. Make sure to use promo code ACTION and Sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download Sleeper, then use promo code ACTION when you deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Okay, back to the show. Let's go to our favorite prop bets. I'm going with the sloppiest fight on the card, potentially an ugly heavyweight fight between Chris Barnett and Martin Budai. Budai making his UFC debut, I believe. Chris Barnett coming off of a spinning wheel kick knockout over John Volante at Madison Square Garden back in November. Barnett, a big boy. We're talking lightweight size, five foot nine heavyweight. He's he's massive. He moves actually pretty well for a guy his size. I believe he has to cut down to get to 265, but he's so small. It's hard to imagine him controlling a bigger guy like Budai for extended periods. But in fact, I don't really see 
Budai is the guy who's going to go out there and just sort of one punch knockout you. I think he prefers to hold you up against the cage, tire you out, slow things down. And that's probably where he can have his most success here. Barnett moves pretty well around the cage, concerned about the smaller octagon, him potentially getting caught. But I think he can move around enough to stay out of damage and then potentially get forced up against the cage, controlled there for extended periods. So I actually like the over one and a half here at plus money quite a bit. Got plus 125, plus 115. And the fight to go to a decision, plus 380 at DraftKings. I projected that line around plus 300. So I see a finish 75% of the time, but I think there's enough value there, maybe a 5% edge in order to make that play at plus 380 and potentially cash it. We're definitely going to take that over one and a half, though, is my preferred bet. Sloppy heavyweights over one and a half. Yeah, that's that's the kind of bet I want to be interested in. Billy, where are you at on props? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to come back to that one because I'm on that fight for best bets as well. But I'm looking at Miguel Baeza by knockout. I'm seeing it as high as plus 180. You know, we've only seen one fight from his opponent, Andre Fialo, but he took over 100 strikes in that fight. And Baeza just has very plus power for the division. So if you're going to let him punch you 100 plus times over 15 minutes, I think he finds a way to put that one away. Neither guy really looks to grapple very much. Fialo didn't attempt any takedowns in his debut. Baeza has less than half per round. So it seems like it's going to be a stand-up fight. It seems like Fialo's defense is pretty bad. Baez is a pretty active striker with plus power. That one seems pretty easy. Yeah, I'll have more on Baeza in our best bets section. So a couple of teasers there with our props. But we'll get to those at the end with our best bets. Let's talk some DFS, Billy. Interesting contest this week because there's, I believe, four or five fighters over 9,000. But I'm not really interested in many of them. I like if we're going to go with any, Myra Bonasilva at 9,300. One, I always talk about the fact that female fighters tend to be owned. And I think she has a good chance of finishing Wu Yanan in that fight. And then Pat Sabatini, 9,200 going against TJ Laramie. I actually bet the under two and a half rounds or a bit the fight to end inside the distance, I believe, at a pick em price there. I also like Sabatini to win inside the distance at plus 125. So those would be my finish-oriented favorites in terms of DFS plays. And then I already mentioned Kyle Bahayo. He's sitting around 7,800. And I have a money line bet on Jesse Ronson as well at plus 8,000. Or he's sitting at $8,000 in the DraftKings contest, I should say. So those are probably the four fighters where I'm going to start my lineup. We'll fill it out from there. Interested in Kelvin Kroom at plus at 7,400 or maybe Andre Luce at 7,400. Where are you tacking the DFS card from top to bottom? I think it's actually like a pretty simple and small amount of variance in terms of my lineups this week. Yeah, th- this is an ugly one. Like, there's no one I'm really excited to click in the lineup. The one thing about Bueno Silva is even when she's gotten finishes in the past, she hasn't got over 100 DraftKings points, which at her salary makes it really tough. I've actually, you know, made some good progress following what you've said about the female fighters, but usually that's because their activity rate is just so much higher than the male fighters. They're in less danger. You know, lighter weight classes throw more. They're always lighter weight classes. Bueno Silva is not that. She attempts strikes at a below average rate. And submissions don't generate as much total points because you usually don't get a knockdown out of the deal and you don't get to accumulate significant strikes along the way. So I'm kind of out on Bueno Silva. And Sabatini, it's similar. You know, we're going to need him to land a lot of strikes before he gets the submission to pay off his salary. When you're looking at fighters who most of their finish condition is a submission, they need to do something before that or get it like right away at a top salary. When you're paying 8,000 and down for those guys or even 8,500 and down, those are better bets. So I'm mostly focused on like the high 
8,000 range. We've got Baeza up there, Munir Lazez, who's facing the replacement opponent on four days' notice. Both Clark and William Knight are in that range. That fight seems like there should be a lot of damage happening, both the heavyweights, the other heavyweights, the real heavyweights, and Boudet and Barnett. But uh, yeah, so, you know, I said last week that there's a lot of 9,000 plus fighters I'm interested in. This is the total opposite. I don't, I'm not really rushing out to play any of these guys. I think I'm going to have more of a balanced lineup and then finding the value in Kyo. I think if you stay not too expensive, Kyo's the only underdog you really have to play if you keep it balanced everywhere else. And then I just want to talk about cash lineups real quick. You always mention sticking both the fighters from the main event in there because that averages out to 16,200, which is slightly below the average salary per fighter. I believe that bumps you up about a hundred bucks per fighter on the remaining slots. Are you going to stick both Bilal and Luke in your lineups or does Luke's finishing upside give you some trepidation? No, this is an easy one to do that with. Really the only time I deviate from that is if there's someone you just absolutely can't see winning at all, or when we have multiple five round fights. But if this were any other DS, DFS board, if one of your hitters you knew was going to play 14 innings instead of nine in baseball, you'd put him in there. So we know these guys either getting a finish win or get two extra rounds, cheap salaries. Neither of them are crazy expensive because the line's relatively close. This is an easy one. Yeah, and we both expect that fight to go the distance anyway, so we may get 25 minutes of volume from both guys, which is probably ideal with some takedowns from Bilal mixed in as well. Especially on a fight where we're not expecting a ton of points throughout the card that that means more on a night like this where there's not a lot of fights with really long odds to stop there's not a lot of people who are excited about their volume so it's even more impactful on a card like this yeah and if if you really want to get crazy as i mentioned there's a few massive underdogs on this card that you may not want to bet but if you want to get a little bit contrarian with your dfs lineups tj larrabee plus 350 lena landsberg plus 300 we have Wu Yanan at a big, juicy price as well. So maybe those are your very contrarian plays. I'm not really interested in any of them, though. No. All right, let's wrap it up with our best bets of the evening. We kind of teased these a little bit with our best prop section. I'm going to piggyback, though, off of what Billy gave out, which was Miguel Baeza by TKO. I'm just going to lay the money line at minus 170 with Baeza. I projected this closer to minus 215. Coming off of a knockout loss to Chaos Williams, where he was winning the majority of the minutes, Baez is great at chopping your lead leg out, which he should be able to do here against Andre Fialo. Fialo, a pressure boxer, tends to fade off after five to seven minutes. Baez should be able to do a ton of attritional damage to him, should have much more movement around the cage, much more diverse striking. So if it's a pure kickboxing match for 15 minutes, I still make Baez a comfortable favorite, but I think he has massive grappling upside here as well. He's a black belt. Fialo, I believe, is a white belt or a blue belt. If this fight hits the mat, it could be an instant sub for Baez. Curious to see if he takes that path of least resistance because I think he should have a much easier time of it if he can get the takedown. But I said, I even favor him pretty widely in a 15-minute in a kickboxing match. May lose the first round. I'd come on Baez alive after round one. He should take over rounds two and three at a pretty high clip given how Fialo tends to fade. And he's very one-dimensional. He's going to target the head with punches and that's pretty much it. He doesn't cut off the cage well either. So I'm going with Miguel Baez. I'd probably lay that up to minus 200. Projected it at minus 215. Billy, I gave out the over two or the over one and a half, I should say, in Barnett and Budai. I also said the fight to go the distance. I prefer the over one and a half. So for my sake, given your best bet, I'm hoping maybe a knockout comes in round two or round three. What do you got here? 
Yeah, I really like the symmetry of how this played out here because I'm on Martin Budai by knockout at minus 115. I just don't want to lay the juice on that. But to your point with Baeza in the grappling upside that we don't see a ton of, I think Budai is a significantly better grappler here. We didn't see a ton of on-the-ground grappling, but he was dominant against the cage against Lorenzo Hood in his contender series fight. It looked for a second there like he was actually going to pick up a TKO via knees to the thigh. And if he's able to get a takedown on Barnett, they are not getting back up. There is no way all, you know, 280, 290 pounds of each of them are going to get back up if Budai ends up on top at some point in this fight. So I think he's not going to be out there hunting for submissions. He's probably going to beat him up even if he does get to the ground. But just the athleticism difference, the size difference, the ability to control him against the fence. Like, had Barnett had that, not had that wheel kick knockout, we'd probably not see much more of him in the UFC. That's going to keep him around a little bit longer. I don't really think he's a UFC level guy. I think Budai proves that to us. And I think he does it pretty violently. Forget the wheel kick knockout from Barnett. It was the front flip somersault that he landed to absolute perfection that is going to keep him in the UFC for a while. One of my favorite NFC NFTs on UFC strike. It's worth it just for the front flip alone. It's an absolutely flawless move by a guy who weighs 265 pounds. Budai by knockout listed at MGM is minus 115. And inside the distance, he's actually sitting, I believe. It's going to be like minus 125. Minus 155. Yeah. So yeah, oh, Barnett submitted in his yeah, Barnett submitted in his first fight with ben, by Ben Rothwell. You mentioned the grappling upside. I actually thought you were going to go with a submission prop as opposed to the knockout prop. I think where we disagree on the fight is just how long Budai is going to hold him up against the cage before he takes him down and finishes him. So I, I kind of see them staying up against the cage for a bit longer. I could see it being slow paced, but if he immediately takes him down and knocks him out or submits him, I, I guess I won't be too surprised. Still sloppy heavyweights. And when fights hit the mat, there tends to be absolute levels, especially at heavyweights. So don't disagree. In a little cage. In a little cage. Big guys in a little cage is uh, a recipe for violence. And that's always worth remembering. We are in the apex. So be careful with those decision props. Finishes happen about 10% more often in the apex, as opposed to the 30-foot octagon that we see like last week at a pay-per-view in a bigger arena. Well, that'll do it for us for Saturday evening. Best of luck on all of your MMA bets, but you can track in the Action Network app. You should look out for our content on actionnetwork.com. My projections will be up there. Our best bets will be up there. We'll have a main event and a co-main event preview in addition to Billy's DFS write-ups on Fantasy Labs. Best of luck on your bets this weekend. And until next time, 